Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project and I'll be your host today. And today is a special episode where my uh, guest is not live with us, unfortunately, but he's joining us over the phone. Um, I'm here joined by Lawrence Carey. Lawrence, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hi, and welcome to the show. Lawrence is from the White Goods Trade Association, one of the founders, and we'll have a special episode about the challenges that consumers, citizens, and third-party repairs uh, share when it comes to white goods. We, Some of you might be familiar with the topic, certainly from personal experience, and some of you might have heard uh, previous episodes of our show when we went on and on about some of these challenges. And, uh, well, it's great to have you here on the show, uh, Lawrence. And sorry you can't be live with us, but hopefully the phone line is good enough. Should be okay. I can hear you. Hopefully you can hear me. Brilliant. So tell us a bit more about how you started the White Trade Good Association, White Good Trades Association, and what it is. Uh, White Goods Trade Association, funnily enough, has come out for its, its, this year as its 10th anniversary, and it was formed out of a, a cooperative of uh, engineers that belong to a website, a web community called UK White Goods. Um, and the basic story is quite simply, every year we used to get together as engineers to swap anecdotes and chat and eat a meal and have a drink. And, and then we were becoming gradually more and more um, disillusioned with the industry. And a few of us stood up at a meeting, and I was the main instigator, I think, because I'm the one with the biggest mouth, and said, come on, guys, we, we should be able to do something about this. We should be able to represent ourselves a bit better. And um, we, along with eight other guys, um, myself and eight other guys, stood up and said, okay, we'll, we'll do this. Um, that was literally the creation of uh, the White Goods Trade Association. We all belong, belonged to a, um, a closed subscriber forum on UK White Goods. And basically what we did was we switched that over and that became the White Goods Trade Association. So we started off with a, a critical mass of members. Um, and, and what we tried to do, or what the, the, the initial aims and objectives were, uh, was about uh, creating an environment where engineers, sole traders, small to medium enterprises could actually have, have a voice about their industry. They didn't feel lost in the wilderness. Um, so we've come quite a way in 10 years. There's still lots to do with our industry. Um, as I know, I've had conversations with you about there are, you know, various issues that could still change that could make the life of a, a white goods repairer uh, easier, an independent white goods repairer a lot easier. But to put in a nutshell, it's a group of engineers that wanted to um, be in control of their own destiny, I suppose. So you refer directly to some of the challenges that um, you were facing and that you wanted to have a common voice. Yeah. And so... I imagine that means that you've been feeling pressure from manufacturers in regards to the way they work with third-party repairs like yourselves. Yes. 
uh, gradually over the years. I mean, I, I've been in this industry all my working life. Um, I'm old enough to remember twin tubs and some of the older, really older stuff that a lot of people now won't even be aware of. But in those days, the majority of appliances were repairable. They were mechanical. Um, and most people with a readily available mechanical knowledge could find their way around a washing machine. Um, what's gradually happened over the years is that manufacturers have gone over to um, things such as sealed tubs and uh, electronic software to control the machine. So you no longer have an electromechanical timer. You actually have a circuit board which is pre-programmed. Um, some boards can only come pre-programmed. There's nothing you can do with them to actually repair the boards. Um, so more and more and more, we found that we were being marginalized. Um, things such as some manufacturers won't actually give out third-party, uh, sorry, won't give out technical information to third-party repairers. Um, they won't allow the likes of me to talk to them about their, their products, the faults of their products. What they do is refer you back to their own service organization. So try and keep it in-house, um, which their argument is it's for the health and safety of the consumer, which can understand that to a degree, uh, but what it does do is it limits the choice the consumer has them to, to where they have their products repaired. Um, Obviously, you know. and and but you mentioned in uh, in the past that some of your challenges are also in regards to being priced out by the very manufacturers. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about this? <clears throat> yeah, um, what we've sometimes found is the scenario whereby. Um, I'll give you an example. I won't mention the manufacturer, but recently I was asked to price a repair on a washing machine. The bearings had failed. and uh, didn't just come as bearings. It came as a complete sealed tub assembly. Um, and I priced up the repair with my usual call-out fee, my usual labor rate. And the price to repair it was about the same price as the consumer could buy it in the shop. But if the consumer went to the manufacturer, the manufacturer did a subsidized repair on it. Um, so in a way, I was immediately on the back foot as a repairer. And we actually will readily say to the consumer, it may be cheaper for you to go to the manufacturer because they do a fixed-price repair, um, an extended warranty scheme, whereby if you sign up for the extended warranty, you get all the parts included. Um, so it's getting more and more uh, restrictive. Um, you know, some manufacturers, not a problem. They're um, open book on their technical, and they take the perspective that, it's, it's a good idea to give the consumer the choice, and it's a good idea to keep their products out there in the kitchen, in the, you know, in the, in the home, to um, make sure the stuff is kept being repaired. Uh, sadly, others have got a much more short-term perspective on it. And actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the issue of warranty on repairs. Um, we, we recently done some research on uh, small uh, electrical and uh, electronic repair businesses in, in East London and we're finding that the mass majority of the businesses that we were serving were not providing um, officially any warranty or sufficient warranty on, on the work they did. And uh, I was wondering from the perspective of a repair uh, business, how hard is it to provide, uh, say, a six months or a one year warranty on, on your work? Um, it's extremely difficult. I mean, myself, I, as I've explained to you in the past, I have a, a small to medium, what you call a small to medium enterprise. I have three engineers on the road repairing products. Um, we give a um, sort of minimum six month warranty um, on the repair. Um, some of those appliances, some of those parts that we're fitting, we're getting a three month warranty on. 
So whilst I can warranty my own workmanship, I have to then take on the additional uh, warranty for the part that I've got no recourse on. Now, if that part fails in, let's say, I get a, a warranty of a manufacturer for three months or their supply for three months, if that part fails in month four or five through no fault of my own, I have to stand the cost of that. Um, so there is no requirement on manufacturers to place a warranty on the part. On the repair, there is, but on the part, there isn't. And and such additional failures on parts that you uh, fit in, are they common? Sorry, I missed that. Say that. Is it is it a common scenario that a part that you've replaced actually fails again? It, it can be, yes. Um, I can think of one particular part um, that we fit an awful lot of. Um, and, yeah, we, we we do sometimes see them fail within our warranty period. Within our warranty period, not the warranty period of the actual spare part. Right. And, and in such cases, uh, do engineers such as yourselves... Um, take on any insurance uh, that covers them for, for no. such cases, or you no. have to deal we, with it yourself? We have to, um, as, as one of my teenage children would say, we have to suck it up. Right. Um, thankfully, uh, at the end of the day, it, is, it, it has to be factored into our cost, into our cost base. Um, it doesn't happen that frequently, but it does happen. Um, and you have you know, environmental scenarios, such as where I am in the country, is a chronically hard water area. So therefore, we see lots of uh, element failures on washing machines. For instance, we see bearing failures where life scale has compromised the bearing seal. Now, if you go up north, um, Manchester, the areas like that, speak to engineers, they very rarely change elements. So you have to take those kind of things into uh, account as well. Right. And uh, so you went on and told us straight away a lot of the challenges that you're facing. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how your uh, association works. Um, yeah. I was quite uh, um, intrigued by your uh, code of uh, practice that you posted on your website. And yeah. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that. One of the things that we, um, we were trying to get was um, we were trying to get this code of practice to be adopted centrally by government, um, by DEFRA. Uh, sorry, not DEFRA. Um, uh, they're now gone. But what was, uh, I can't remember it now. But basically, we, we, what we were trying to do was create a code of practice that could be adopted centrally. Um, we got within, I think we got within two drafts, and then uh, the, the that time political scenario changed and the funding was withdrawn. Uh, Office of Fair Trading, that's it, it's come to mind now. So what we were trying to do was get an Office of Fair Trading approved code of practice. So we, we put all the legwork into creating this and then at the last minute um, the opportunity wasn't there so we took the decision rather than waste all of that work that had gone into the code of practice let's actually use it let's publish it let's ask our members to adhere to it so anybody that signs up to be a white goods trade association member has to have looked at the code of practice and tick the box to say yes they agree to work by it and abide by it um, it has um, protection for the consumer it also has protection for the repairer as well um, it has uh, various bits in there that state the way that a repairer will work the way the repairer is expected to work and the way in which the consumer is expected to help the uh, repairer um, we've also got elements in there of arbitration so if there is an issue the wta can be asked to uh, intermediate to interact as an intermediary between the consumer and the member um, we're 
that has happened in the past where we've sought a resolution for a consumer because the consumer feels that actually the uh, engineer or the member hasn't abided by that code of practice. Uh, we've had others where we've then shown that actually the member has adhered to the code of practice and actually um, sought a, a mutual resolution. So it, it acts as an umbrella for the consumer and an umbrella for the engineer as well. It gives an element of protection to both. And yeah, I was happy to see that you do state that you have a minimum six months yes. uh, labor and uh, spares uh, warranty on, on, on your work and uh, also a lot of clarity um, about how a price is made up of different parts, etc. Because we think long, that... As, you, as you've seen, it's a long document. It's a very long document, <laughs> but um, it's important to, to, to seek a bit of clarity because often people might decide against uh, a repair for a product based on the lack of clarity and yes. the frustration coming from contacting an engineer and maybe then being uh, asked to to pay for a lot more than was originally um, agreed, etc. And these practices tend to reduce the reliability of, of the sector, uh, so yes. to say. Well, what it then does is encourage, it, it, it gives the consumer a poor perspective uh, upon the industry. And they then rely on going back to the manufacturer for repair because they feel they have no alternative. And that was the idea of the Code of Practice, was to, to show that we are um, different, if you like. Not, not that we're necessarily better, but we work in a different way, we work in a professional manner, um, and we adhere to this Code of Practice. And then everybody is, uh, for, to use an old phrase, they're all singing from the same hymn so you're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the association um, later this year. And so how many engineers or businesses are involved in this? Uh, currently, our membership uh, is, I think the last I checked, we're sitting at 105 members, um, which uh, range from sole traders to uh, small to medium enterprises. We don't have that many bigger repairers. Uh, the WTA was set up uh, primarily around the independent engineer. Uh, in fact, it's in our constitution that the management team uh, will always be made up of independent repairers. By that we mean there uh, there will be no manufacturer input, uh, no spares wholesaler input, etc. The whole emphasis of it is around based around the independent service engineer. And you're not the only uh, trade association. Um, there is also another one, I believe, uh, yes, there called is. DASA. Yes, DASA, who we uh, we work alongside on anything um, where we have a a synergist environment where there's something that we're both working on, we will work together. Um, we have slightly different aims and objectives, and each uh, works in their own sphere very well. Um, in fact, the, the DASA members will uh, are invited, lots of WTA members are DASA members as well. Um, the DASA management team will actually be at our conference at the end of this month. Um, and I know there's always a reciprocal invitation to their conference as well. So we, we work side by side. Okay, um, thanks for that. Uh, okay. So we, as I mentioned at the beginning, we ran a couple of podcasts uh, at the end of last year uh, featuring the work of an engineer who's not a member of your association, but I believe is driven by very similar ethos, uh, this Steve the Spin Doctor. And uh, I have a short audio clip from our interview with him that I'd like to play. The biggest problem for me is that the appliances that are being sold now are such bad quality, it's disgusting. 
it really is shockingly bad. They're getting called out to machines that are 14 months old. They pay £500 for this machine. The machines aren't fit for purpose. So I'm a bit worried about what the future holds for my job in a certain way because people are going to lose faith in certain brands and maybe not want to get me to repair a machine. They might just think, oh, well, I might as well just throw it away. Right. That's what I'm slightly worried about. If you have glue that gets hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, what happens to it? It breaks oh, down right, and leaks. Yeah, so some of these concerns about the way products are made um, are becoming more and more... Um, obvious and uh, you you were quoting earlier uh, some research on how people in the UK are buying more and more uh, white goods over the years. Yes. Yeah. So what is going on? I think what we're seeing is exactly what uh, Steve the Spin Doctor mentioned there, that the consumers are uh, buying a product and they're experiencing a scenario whereby it fails between 14 months and two years and they're thinking now should I get an engineer in or should I just go and buy another one and what seems to be happening now is there's uh, more and more and more lower end appliances um, that are being built to a price um, that uh, uh, sort of what we call sub 200 pounds uh, the consumer's thinking well I buy a machine I get a 12 month warranty with it if it fails in 18 months time I'll just go and buy another one and what we're actually having now is a self-fulfilling prophecy whereby what that does is generates more and more product, but less and less repairs, which from our perspective as repairers is not a particularly good thing. Uh, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of example here. So um, the data that's just been published is stating that you know, the, the washing machine sales in the UK, just, this is just in the UK, this year are set to break the 3 million units barrier. Now, uh, you think, well, 3 million units, there's 3 million washing machines. Now, that's more than double the amount sold 2004 and 2005. These are just uh, washing machines sold in this country? Yes, just washing machines sold in the UK. Wow. Now, on the face of it, you think, well, that's more product. That's more product out there, so our members, speaking from our perspective, that means there's more appliances to repair. The problem you have is if you have product that is not repairable for various reasons, whether it be lack of spare parts, whether it be uh, lack of technical um, um, lack of technical advice, etc., then what you're ending up with is the same way that some small electricals went, which is they're not being repaired, they're just being thrown away. It becomes a commodity. Every two years, I just buy another washing machine. There's no point in having it repaired. Is the consumer's perspective. Thanks for that. Okay. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. Um, we're on the line with Lawrence Carey of the White Goods Trade Association. And uh, we've been talking about the challenges that third-party repairers of white goods, which is washing machine, dishwashers, fridges and the likes, face. And uh, the role of manufacturing such products and the lack of access to spare parts and the declining quality of products. So are you having, Lawrence, any conversations on this very topic with manufacturers? Uh, some manufacturers we are. Some manufacturers are open to talking to us about these things. Um, some are not. Um, some don't wish to speak to us. Um, so we are, where possible, uh, we are trying to, to talk to those that are involved. 
Um, we have spoken to various government departments. We were invited to this where you and I first met. Um, we were talking about uh, keeping product out of the waste stream. Um, I mean, those figures I just gave you with regard to the amount of washing machines, the reality for that means that UK consumers are looking at an additional £300 million a year and dumping about an additional 60 million kilos of waste. Um, so that's product that could be repaired if it was built in a certain way, um, built to a certain price, and their parts were readily available along with technical information. Um, so on the one hand, we have this kind of uneven situation. There's lots and lots of products being built and being sold, but not a lot of it is being able to be repaired. And we read just a few weeks ago some shocking news um, about a, specifically a Samsung um, washing machine costing £1,700 when new, um, which apparently someone reported to The Guardian being no longer repairable because Samsung itself was out of spares for a machine that was just 18 months old. And uh, do, do such things happen frequently? Um, we repair some... We repair, there's two particular brands that come to mind that we get asked about spare parts for continually. And we can't obtain spare parts, but we can go down to a well-known store and we can buy one off the shelf, brand new appliance. So there are appliances being sold where the spare parts are not available. Now, I'm not saying that's the case with Samsung. Um, I mean, I've, I've only seen what was in the media with regards to the Samsung appliance. Um, and I note that Samsung did eventually uh, a, a sort of repair it for the consumer, but the delays were delays that were being mentioned were quite extreme. Yes, and you're right to mention that um, the Guardian's intervention in this story made sure that um, some positive impact in the end happened, but yeah. it, it's shocking that consumer has to write to the Guardian in order to get a product 18 months old to be repaired uh, yeah. with parts, even though it was a fault due to um, you know, the type of misuse of the product, so to say. Yeah, um, there were a couple of um, anomalies in also what was told, I think, to the consumer with regards to parts availability, etc. Um, you know, there was, it was stated that um, part, they had an obligation to have parts available for six years, but in actual fact, as the, as the uh, Guardian explained themselves, actually that's not the case at all. There is no actual set-in-stone legislation that requires manufacturers to stock spares for a set amount of time. So therefore, you have some manufacturers that will, under a voluntary agreement, they will say, OK, we will have parts available for X amount of years. Um, but the other side of that is you have other people that are manufacturing products that are not obliged to have any spares available. And in all of this, uh, there's different moves in countries like uh, Sweden and France to make an, the environment for third-party repairs more uh, a bit easier. Um, yeah. So in Sweden, um, the legislation um, just changed at the beginning of this year so that when people uh, perform at their house um, a repair, um, they're calling in an engineer to have a white goods, for example, repaired, yeah. they can then claim back for their taxes, I believe, 50% of the labor cost associated right. with the repair. Yeah. And... Uh, which, imme which immediately creates a viable scenario for the product to be repaired. So, do 
do you find that the cost of spares are uh, a big issue or is more the cost of um, the engineer time uh, performing it's the repairs? A, it's a bit of both. Um, it, certainly spares costs are going up. Um, I think last I looked, I was notified of at least three to four manufacturers um, that are putting their spares costs up in the, in the, within this year. Um, spares do go up with alarming regularity, spares costs with alarming regularity. And we're also finding a lot of scenarios at the moment whereby we're going to spares wholesalers and ordering parts, and they're not actually in stock. Actually, this is something that we've heard also from repairers of uh, smaller appliances, the, the type of products that Restart tries to help with at our events. Um, we've heard that um, somehow uh, Samsung screens for a lot of their smartphones had become much harder and more expensive uh, to, to find on the market. And so this is a concern because clearly the increase in price and the lack of availability, particularly for something like a smartphone, uh, can mean that people will end up upgrading to a new device. Well, yes. Probably for washing machines too. Yes, because at the end of the day, if you have somebody that's saying, I have uh, a need for a washing machine, and you know, I have a pile of washing, I need it fixed, and you're saying, well, the part is going to not be in the country for at least four weeks, they weigh up the option, well, can I last four weeks, or should I just go and buy another washing machine? Right. Again, and again, the scenario for us is it's a lost repair and it's another piece of product into the waste stream. Of course. So you will be in favour for um, um, a support like the one that's like, come out yes, of Sweden? It's actually something that we as the Trade Association have we've looked at, but not in great depth at the moment. But it is something that we could use to make repairs more viable. Um, it's, what you've got to do is incentivize the consumer. Uh, you've got to incentivize the manufacturers to. Look, what you've got to uh, you've got to incentivize the consumer, and you've either got to in, in, uh, incentivize stroke, leg, stroke legislate for the manufacturer to create a product to a certain level uh, with a certain obligation for spare parts um, with, to be available for a certain amount of time. If you do that, then the product will stay out in the marketplace. And lastly, I wanted to ask you, what, what do you think is the role of data in all of this? Uh, because we hear so much about anecdotal evidence um, around uh, a shocking story here and there. And I was wondering if your organization has access to pool of data around recurrent faults and uh, no. such information. No, we have nothing. We have nothing. That is normally kept in-house with the manufacturers. Um You've only got to look at the last product recalls that have been involved in the white goods. And the manufacturers themselves weren't able to contact every consumer that had one of their appliances. So there, there is a need for a way, a means by which to capture that data and record that data and use that data in a safe, proper way. Um, but the, the, whole, uh, you know, the whole thing about capturing people's data is a whole different ballgame. Thank you, Lawrence, uh, for all of this. Um, so you can find more information about the White Goods Trade Association at whitegoodstradeassociation.org. I believe you can also find out more about where your engineers are located and yeah. read more about your code of practice. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be hearing more uh, from you and the industry at your upcoming conference uh, happening 
on the 24th of February. Do you want to say anything about that? Uh, yeah, it's just uh, currently we're just top uh, 170 people registered, uh, all from within the white goods industry, manufacturers, sole traders, bear suppliers, etc., etc. It's going to be a fantastic day. And if anybody that, uh, listening that's a repairer that has never been before, then have a look on the website. The registration link is there. You don't have to be a WTA member to attend. Uh, so if you want to come and see what we're about, it's in Wolverhampton, the Ramada Hotel in Wolverhampton, on Friday the 24th. It should be a very good day. Great. Well, thanks uh, very much for all these insights, Lawrence. So you've been listening to Restart Radio. If you want to find out more about the Restart Project, uh, you can do so on our website, therestartproject.org, or on social media at Restart Project, on both uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, upcoming events will be on the 27th of February back in Camden at the Kentish Town Community Association, Community Centre. And for more information and events, find us on the web. Thank you. Until next week.